0: Hello everybody and welcome back to Life's Learning Curve. We're a podcast. We're in Season 2, Episode 31. Wow, already 31. I'm Paul Hart. I am a former educator. I'm a current media producer. I'm a writer and editor in media. This is a podcast about finding out all about ourselves. We're trying to find the best us, the best version of us. And we do that through storytelling. And today, I'm glad you're here with us. You're in for quite a treat, a true story. At long last, I tell how and why this podcast came to be. That's probably the most asked question I get when people send me emails. What made you begin this particular podcast and this theme? From an innocent, casual conversation with my daughter to revisiting... 200, 250 plus stories I used to tell daily in my classroom, not 200 a day, but one per day, to motivate students to write, to a chance meeting with a former student named Sean, to birthing this podcast. Question did you ever experience something when you were with a group, and then, when asked to retell the event that you just experienced, you found out that everyone's story was drastically different? Well, the way I for saw example, it. when an older man yeah. was driving his car recently on Main Street, he jumped the curve and drove into a group of people on a nearby sidewalk. A local policeman. ...took statements from all the people that were there on the sidewalk. Person 1. Listen,
1: traffic was thick and the driver of the blue sedan got confused and accidentally accelerated right into us. Probably confused the accelerator with the brake. (laughs) Something it's easy to get confused with or flustered in heavy traffic. When I saw him, he looked confused. Person 2. Oh, you could tell he was like a crazy man. He hates people. You could tell just by looking at him. He's got problems. You could see it in his face. He just jumped the curb and went right at us.
0: Person three.
1: If I hadn't yelled, look out, everybody would have gotten hurt. It was a good thing I was there to watch the traffic. That's kind of what I do in life. I'm there to help others.
0: Person four. I
1: was minding my own business, and this man, he was in his car, and it jumped the curb. It drove right at us. He attacked us with his 4,000-pound vehicle. He looked really angry. You know, most people are really angry these days.
0: And finally, the last person interviewed by the policeman was witness number five.
1: Traffic wasn't really heavy. I saw him go up and over the curb,
0: and... I felt bad for that older man. He looked confused and he's dazed. The reality was the older man had a heart attack. And the truth was he had lost control of his vehicle because of that. The different perspectives of the same narrative when retold can show a lot about a person and a lot about their character as well. In today's episode, we retell true stories to explain our learning curve on life and why My perspectives and my expectations created this podcast, plus a whole lot more. Let's go. This is Life's Learning Curve. I'm Paul Hart. Episode, Silent Writing, A Legacy. Stand by. You know, recently I had a conversation with an old pal I've talked about on the podcast before, Sam. He's a video producer and a friend. And we used to mentor each other as we were starting out. Incidentally, that was Life's Learning Curve episode, Worst Possible Choice, if you want to look it up. Sam, if you know him, is a very organized, structured, a tidy man who could spend the entire day organizing his upper right desk drawer. <laughs> desk needs cleaning out. It was just him. That's his way. But most definitely a creative type as well. After Sam and I talked for a while, it was obvious that Sam was struggling with something. It was for him an existential crisis, his own personal one. Sam told me, It's just not how I expected my life would be, Paul. Now, existential crises are these moments in life when you question whether your life has meaning or purpose or value. Sometimes this is tied to life's repetition, or depression, or inevitably negative speculations on your purpose in life. For example, Uh, if one day I'll be forgotten, what's the point of me doing all my work? It's a major focus of existentialism. Why am I doing this, if it doesn't really matter anyway? So I responded to Sam by saying, what did you expect, Sam? Really?" Sam thought for a moment, and then he told me this. I suppose this sounds kind of stupid, but I suppose I thought that'd be more of a narrative arc. (laughs) (laughs) We both broke out laughing, and it was a good healthy laugh, and Sam needed that. Now why did we laugh at that term, narrative arc? Not everybody uses that in conversation daily. We're editors, we're producers, and we constantly are on the path to effectively put an engaging, complete story all together when you're editing. Where the story emerges in an uphill arc. Story construct. So, narrative arc is a term that decides and describes a story's full progression. In a general sense, every story has a relatively calm, you remember school when you learned this. Every story has a kind of calm beginning, a middle where there's tension and a character begins to have some sort of conflict or problem. There's a narrative momentum and the story begins to build and build and build to its peak when there is a climax or this crisis that's right in the heaviest part. And in the end, where the conflict is resolved, whatever happens. Sam had expected more of an uphill arc to his life. So when people choose to tell stories of their lives to others and then even more crucially to themselves, there's always a narrative arc arc. and the telling of a story of how you became who you are and of who you are on your way to become, the story itself becomes a part of who you are. I hope that makes sense. It... It's the way you tell the story, your traits, you being you. your goals, your values, your legacy. How do you see things? You know, the most asked question, I, I was talking about this as we just opened, the most asked question that I get from everyone about this podcast is, what made you decide to do this? Why this podcast? If they have the time, I tell them to have a seat. <laughs> I retell my abbreviated form of the story. First, it was a new car that brought me back to the magic of sound recordings in the theater of the mind. Satellite radio came with my last car, and as I scanned the umpteen channels that I could choose from, I was looking at music and sports and talk radio, I found this unique channel called Radio Classics. These were old radio shows from the 1930s through the 1950s, sometimes early 1960s. And I was hooked the first time I heard The Shadow. Lamont Cranston was the protagonist (laughs) who could make himself invisible and help solve crimes and mysteries. Nice. Another was called, it was a serial, it reoccurred every few days, called
1: Yours Truly,
0: Johnny Dollar. He had kind of had that voice. <laughs> I was out in my car waiting for something to happen. When? <laughs> the old 1940s voice. Johnny Dollar was a gumshoe private investigator, and as these shows all unraveled, I could picture all of it in my head. The comedy shows of the Jack Benny program oh, and another called Fibber McGee and Molly who lived on the street called Wistful Vista Lane. <laughs> it all brought this great imagery of these quirky characters, the great Gildersleeve, uh, nosy neighbors, and and the much simpler time that people were going through back then. However, the production, the production on these shows was amazing. Now, all audio... Fully, artists all made the sound effects while the actors performed flawlessly next to a live orchestra who played scene transitions, the show's theme song, the credits, right on cue. We'll be back after this. Great stuff. Secondly, about two years ago. My 25 year old daughter Heidi and I were sitting in a nearby fast food joint that we used to frequent when she was younger and she used to live here. She was home from Kansas City visiting the family. And on this day she was visiting me. Just me. That particular day was my time exclusively with her solo daddy daughter. She told me that her fiance Trace who at that time was a first year doctor of physical therapy Trace had just begun podcasting with another doctor. The podcast was called Whiskey Docs. (laughs) They mixed rehashing their first year of clinical experiences with their love of diverse and quality whiskeys. Whiskey Docs open.
1: Cheers, everyone glad you could join us for a conversation over some drinks we're a couple of doctors of physical therapy and we plan to have a cocktail or two while going through some cases
0: wow immediately i loved that premise and i could see an audience for that podcast somewhat select but still a large audience the producer and me really liked and envied that premise and the idea of audio only just like satellite radio After 30-some years producing video imagery and storytelling, this was a throwback to the value of just the spoken word in long form. Not a three-minute YouTube video. I never thought that audio, audio, especially in long form, I would ever see it return in my lifetime. Back to the nearby fast food joint. Heidi and I ate our ice cream as we talked about her social life and also her experiences on the road doing training and consulting for a large national medical firm. As I finished my uber creamy chocolate milkshake, (laughs) I asked my daughter what her days were like at the medical firm where she worked. Large group of 20-somethings, people her age. She explained the culture of the large business and how it fostered a really positive mental and physical workday for each person. And that was a good thing. Heidi and her co workers were expected to be at work on time, put in the hours, and they did. But also, if they worked out at the company gym and ate nutritional food from the cafeteria, they were given extras, perks, you know, money at times. Maybe other times prizes, things like that. I really don't know. I think it was more like money. But there was one other thing that Heidi and her co-workers embraced. For one hour every day, they got to listen to a podcast. Thanks for tuning in. You're
2: listening to Podcast Sugar Beet America. I'm your host, Benjamin Lemming. So what's happening this week
0: with Sugar beets? A podcast, huh?
3: So for one hour a day at work, we listen to podcasts
0: audio-only, right? Podcasts?
3: Um, yeah, only audio. They don't necessarily have to be only audio, though.
0: Do the podcasts have to be instructional about work, or can they be about anything?
3: They can really be about anything. Um, they really just get our minds off of our mid-afternoon brain crash that we're having, and it makes us all more effective after that break, so we work more with focus. So breaks are key in podcasting, the the break.
0: Well, what do you find yourselves listening to? What podcasts?
3: Um, my co-workers and I really bounce podcasts and recommendations off of one another. My team is really into true crime <laughs> and health related podcasts. so um, both of those are pretty polar opposites but they're, they' uh, they really get you thinking and get you more aware of your surroundings. Um, But there's fitness, uh, crime, like I said, ones with a lot of humor and storytelling I I find that my team likes a lot as well. So a good storytelling podcast is great.
0: I had this sudden realization from that very conversation that some sort of a paradigm shift had possibly occurred. And I had just been informed by my 20-something daughter that an entirely new generation was embracing the spoken word in a longer form. Now, to them, this was something new. To me, it was something that I mourned the loss of. Now it was back, and I wanted in.
3: Podcast Daddy.
0: You know, before I was even five years old, before being exposed to the audio world, I remember being really affected by a children's book about this defenseless uh, baby bear lost from his family in the woods, and it was illustrated. I was feeling empathy for one of the first times. I did not know what that feeling was, but initially it really panicked me. <laughs> It was terrible. It was a terrible feeling. The bear's lost. He lost his family. What's he going to do? Can you apply it to yourself? Oh, no. That could happen to me. It was like a feeling that the little bear's loss was my loss and that his hopelessness was my hopelessness. So I put that book on the shelf as a, I don't know, three, four-year-old, five-year-old. Put it away and did not want to reread it. It was a horrible book for me. But I walked by the bookshelf every day and I always checked to make sure it was there. I felt like I'd need it someday. But very soon I learned real life had its own losses and its own anxious moments. And I believe that was when I learned to conquer fears, conquer challenges, or at least take them on. I should meet these challenges head on. I wrote, stories and later created videos that would help viewers ease themselves into loss and feeling hopeless and what to do. I mean, back when I was a kid around age 12, my friends and I would visit the local uber cool, newly rebuilt downtown library in town. We were pretty rocking kids, huh? where they had about eight record players with headphones, very clean. (laughs) It was state-of-the-art for the time. Now the library itself was brand new, but it was still very conservative in its records and its content. So it wasn't like rock and roll heaven. It was more like stories and classical and things like that. So we would pick out, my friends and I, we'd pick out these albums that had stories, much like... The radio shows I was talking to you about I had just heard on satellite radio or books on tape. And we would listen and sit there for 45 or so some minutes and listen to an entire album. One story. Two sides of the album. At the end of side one it would say, End of side one. Turn album over
2: for side two. Like you didn't know.
0: The mood though. When we listened, the mood, the feelings of the settings, the sound effects, the music production, the imagery were so well explained and so well produced that it took me to that place in my head where my imagination runs rampant. And as a fan of TV and film, I grew up with that visual media thing. I saw what made people laugh or cry or make them fearful. Could I elicit the same responses if I created that content? I wondered. From the ages of 8 through 18 I wrote stories and I illustrated them and I presented them to my family. You know, your best audiences. Your, your, Your family's gonna love what you do anyway, but that was my audience. I embraced production music from TV and often held a cheap microphone up to the speaker on the TV And cassette tape theme songs, theme transition music from shows, and dialogue off the TV. And at that age, I really was beginning to understand the value to help drive the narrative and the character development of each show. They were using music, visual imagery, you know, dialogue, movement, etc. I liked what full production could do for a show. Throughout my life, I continued to write, instruct, produce video content for TV, local TV, film festivals, and a few films, too. After wanting to act initially, I slowly found a more passionate niche, producing and editing video and cinema. I worked for years to try and visually put viewers into my character's world of emotion. I failed. Oh, no. I succeeded. That's bad. That was important in the beginning of video editing, and by accident I would overproduce shows sometimes. I decided that I would like to podcast, but what did I have that would be worthwhile to share with people? What would be interesting? Because of my background in video production, I already had all the equipment condenser mics, XLR cables, and I would record to two separate 4K video cameras. I would edit, mix, sound, sweeten, and output with my old pal Final Cut Pro. That part I had. The challenge for me would be not the technical side, but to create an audio-only podcast product. I had my future son-in-law and the Buzzsprout Facebook site for references for questions. Months passed and I wanted to think about this because it was possible I didn't have a viable topic or overall theme. I grappled with the value of content. Was there anything I could provide to a podcast world that would be embraced? Maybe I should just host for someone else. Or maybe I should just produce the podcast for someone else. Mm. Then one day, I was talking with a former student named Sean, now 46 years old, and he's a technical designer for a large firm out of Chicago. Sean (laughs) laughed because he reminded me of this daily writing practice I oversaw in my years in the classroom, back when I was in education. I called it silent writing. It actually was that old writer's exercise that you're given seven minutes to write about a topic and each day I marked a title or topic on the interactive whiteboard projected on a huge screen, the new chalkboards, and even if the topic took the student in an opposite direction from the intended prompt, that was okay just write. For example, I'd write a different topic every day on the board, but let's say one day I wrote the topic uh, my cousin. Almost everybody has a cousin. If not, then they can write about a brother or a sister or, you know, somebody they know from their neighborhood. On the whiteboard, my cousin. My cousin. But first, before beginning their writing, I would retell the class a true story about an experience with one of my cousins. For 7 minutes. Since I always saw my life as a huge random Random. slice of ironic comedy, comedy. (laughs) I also retold my truths, my mistakes, my goof ups, my flaws, flaws, the comedy, the funny parts, the successes, the insecurities as well. I added the realities of my family's adventures and I always wanted to demonstrate that it was okay for me to laugh at myself. Sometimes life could be quite funny, quite proactive, and it depends on how you view it. What is your perspective? After my seven minutes were up, the class would then dig in and they'd write for seven minutes more. Begin. This engagement of writing, silent writing, worked on most students. Whether they loved to write or just needed that extra shove, it was ungraded. And it was mostly about getting students to put thoughts from their brains down to their pants. After one week passed, I would read back what the students had written the week before. Read backs. If it was too private, I had the students write, please don't read this to the class, and I respected those wishes. Read backs. See, at first, many of the students fought the daily writing that I had requested they do until we began to share the read backs. The students saw what others were doing and how their writing got a laugh or a tear or got them attention. And for many of the very quiet students, this was their chance to shine and stand out. And they did. As I read back these writings each day, something unexpected happened that first year I tried this. And this unexpected thing happened each year in the classroom. It had mostly to do with the readbacks. Unexpectedly, each child began to understand how we were all so similar. So full of sibling squabbles. So full of humanity. It was full of good humor. We laughed. We laughed and shared openly with one another. (laughs) Students do love to share. They do. But it's kind of embarrassing to do that. Normally, they weren't given such a safe format like this one, where their writing was actually read back to their contemporaries. Just that group, just that class. It was ironic, but this was where my classes bonded. Every year after that, I started doing this about year three of a 35-year career. I did it every year. It was through this daily ungraded writing process We all began to know each other a little bit better. I knew the kids better; they knew each other better. It was almost like a brother-sister sibling relationship thing. Very little reasons to be embarrassed, because if I was telling things about me—not horrible things, but just you know, general day-to-day goof-up things—you know—they would share their content as well. So, sharing nonfiction student writing became the most popular part of each and every school day. These were stories about how they were becoming better people, not just by writing, but by journaling sometimes, their own personal learning curve of life. Many classes became a lot like families because of silent writing. It's true. At the end of each school year, I would pass back to each student a two- to three-inch packet, like this thick, a school year's worth of writing. Their writing came back to them. It was around 200 or 250 pieces of writing, one for each day. And they could see their growth from the end of August the beginning. to the end of May. To the end. And they got to see how their writing got better and developed more and how really when they wrote nothing initially and after several weeks they began to add more and more as they felt more comfortable progress and they were able to write by thinking about something and it travels down to their pen and out it comes input output They could see that their growth as writers were better, and they were better able to express their feelings, communicate facts, and most importantly, being able to understand that we all were similar, alike, and actually were writers now. And in order to prompt each topic, I had compiled in my brain over 300 of the most liked and responsive popular stories which I retold every school year. If the story resonated well with the kids, I wrote it down and I created the list. Each year these stories became more and more polished and more appreciated by the class. Now I had stressed writing as a really an essential job skill for the future and often it's the primary basis upon how you're seen as an adult by their writing. Learning situations and sometimes in college, well, definitely in college, in the workplace and in the community. So, in 46 year old Sean's case, he kept his silent writings and he had just reread them the previous day, which is why he sought me out. And he asked me if I remembered some of the stories I retold. I did. And I smiled. I did remember. these retellings of stories were true about my life's journey to become a better me. And I'm still working on that. (laughs) And as time passed, Sean's shared with me, he said, Mr. Hart, your stories in class
2: and the perspectives were so positive for me that for years after school, Got out That school year where you were my teacher, I remembered some of your stories and they always made me smile and relax when I thought about them. They made me forget about my troubles. When I entered the U.S. Army, I took that state of mind from your classroom and I took that attitude with me to the Middle East. I gotta tell you, Mr. Hart, I felt terrified most minutes of every day. But somehow I channeled the mood, I channeled, channeled the attitude of the silent writing readbacks you used to do. And it got me through some intense trauma. A Couple stories just cracked me up. So my buddies all thought I was nuts, smiling all the time. But you know, this was my life. Sometimes live or die moments, facing my time in the army with a upbeat, can-do attitude. Now these days I take your stories to work just to get through the fact that I'm working with apprentices.
0: Sean had taken my intentions way beyond learning to write. You never know how you will affect someone. You just don't Sean's conversation with me really made my day because words if used properly, can keep your state of mind in check. And I told Sean that I had retold these stories for over 35 years in the classroom and I smiled because it was then that I knew it was the moment. I knew that at last I had my podcast. It would be a story-based podcast retelling how we became the best version of ourselves based off of the daily story retelling. Silent writing. It was like I had 35 years of rehearsal for this podcast. Legacy. Life learning curve equals silent writing. I recently attended a friend's funeral. His father had died. And as his oldest sister got up to talk, I realized that all of the recollections that she had were not about her father's life, but just from the time she was born until present day. And I thought about that. Father's life really did not start. It did not begin when she was born. There was so much more. Our life is a journey of good and bad, success and failure, ironic and surface value reality. She had only known her father during her lifetime. Some stories need to be passed down to the next generation. And I thought to myself that it was a shame. She never knew her own father existed before his birth. That he had probably laughed and he cried and he learned and he had adventures on his own. I wanted to make sure that my podcast, this podcast would have all the elements of me prior to my own children's birth. Seeing that this is our 31st show, I haven't even come close to sharing what I call the best of life's learning curve. It's magic, it's tragic, it's all still there. And I'm sure my 26 and my 22-year-old young adult children (laughs) feel like I've shared too much already, but I'll tell you this. They'll know more about my struggles, my challenges, my faith, my humor, my love for life, thanks to this podcast, long after I'm gone. And finally, back to my friend Sam. Remember at the show's open, I was talking about Sam was struggling with this existential crisis. It's just not how I expected my life would be, Paul. He told me. If one day I'll be forgotten, what's the point of me doing all my work? I just reminded Sam that as an editor, he and I both, we build fiction stories that often surpass reality, they surpass real life. We build in the emotion, we build in the tragedy, the love, the happiness. We upscale the crisis, the conflict, we create a resolution. If you do that enough times in editing, you certainly begin to wish for a better realized life. It happens to me as well. See our Life's Learning Curve episode, Can't Explain Paradise, for more on that. Well, what do you do, Paul, when this happens? Well, Sam, it's different for me. It's different for everybody, I imagine. I usually sit down and write. Some of my best stuff comes out when I'm having an existential crisis, (laughs) I told him. There was a pause, and then Sam said, Okay, okay, I I think I know what I need to do. And a smile spread across Sam's face. It was broad. What is it, Sam? What are you going to do? And Sam boasted and said, I'm going to go clean out my garage. Yeah. And so we did. One of a kind that, Sam. (laughs) So, you see, this podcast exists for me. It's my legacy. I need it, selfishly. Also, it exists for anyone willing to share their life's learning with future generations. And just maybe, maybe we can learn from one another again and love unconditionally and laugh with one another. It exists for my children as a legacy of their dad. And for the audience we have built in the past two years, wow, I'm happy. I'm happy to have you all aboard and embrace life's new connections and new directions. For Life's Learning Curve, here's to the future. While retelling our past, I'm Paul Hart. Subscribe to Life's Learning Curve at lifeslearningcurve.org and leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or Podchaser. Our show is put together by producer Paul Hart with assistance by Pirate Kelsey Herbner, Chip Carson, and S.T. Dog. We're mixed by Horace Bemis, technical director Heidi Cerner. Music and sound by Rayleigh Hart. On this show, special thanks to Sam Rambuno, Heidi Hart, and Sean Bruner for the inspiration. Some names and voices were changed for entertainment purposes. Dr. Trace McClintock's podcast, Whiskey Docs, can be heard on Spotify and Apple Podcasts, and almost everywhere else, podcasts can be heard. Hey, but find us here at Life's Learning Curve at our website, lifeslearningcurve.org. Help us grow and continue by liking us on Facebook, listen to us where you're listening right now, and practically everywhere else, podcasts are found. For Life's Learning Curve, episode 31.0 Silent Writing, a Legacy. I'm Paul Hart. We will be back soon with more from Life's Learning Curve. We're clear. We're clear. We're clear. We're clear.